0: You got a space. You got customers walking by. You start with the sandwich shop. Eh, you know, nobody really likes your sandwiches. Uh, but everybody talks about the ice cream Sunday at the end. And it's just because you made some really unique Sunday and then people start coming in just for the Sunday. You know, hey, want a sandwich? They're like, no, just, I'm gonna go right for the Sunday. And I wonder, I brought my kid with me. Oh, and I brought my my coworker. So wow, what's unique about this, you know, Sunday here? Uh, okay, let's put three Sundays on and let's change the name of the place from, you know, Zach and Jason's sandwich shop to Zach and Jason's Sundays. And then all of a sudden, you do just like minor pivot just based on the feedback. And now you're running a, sun, a Sunday shop. Now, if you were the investor and you got sold on, hey, this is the best brisket sandwich you could ever have. This is the best, you know, Reuben in the world. Um, and you come back and say, hey, we're making an ice cream parlor. You're like, what? I didn't <laughs> invest in an ice cream parlor. But if you come back and you say, look, the ice cream uh, Sundays we charge eight bucks for them, cost us three and we're printing money, and we sold a 100 of them yesterday, and uh, guess what? We suddenly find ourselves profitable. <laughs> we can pay our rent. Now you got the match. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Fount. Do you want access to the performance protocols that pro athletes and special ops use? With Fount, an elite military operator supercharges your focus, sleep, recovery, and longevity, all powered by your unique data. Want a true edge in work and life? Go to fount.bio slash twist for $500 off. Coda is the all-in-one doc for teams. And they introduced an AI-powered assistant to take the busy out of the work. Get a $1,000 startup credit at coda.io slash twist. And Miro helps take ideas from in your head to out there in the world with its ability to democratize collaboration and input. Sign up for free at Miro.com startups. All right, everybody, welcome back to this week in startup today. My guy, Zach Colias is back for another exciting episode of Ask an Angel. Now, well, we're both VCs, really, but we started as angels. We write early stage checks. Um, what is early stage? Mm, I think we would define it, Zach, you correct me if I'm wrong as uh pre-series a those that would be the earliest seed stage yeah we're in agreement there
1: yeah yeah from from the very beginning from an idea all the way up to the point where like the line starts to extend and any 80 can extend the lines if you got you know six months of month over month growth and you know all the metrics that the vcs love to see then they'll they'll hit that bid but before that come talk to us
0: yeah And, and the we would call this starting point um what 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 are the characteristics of the uh startups in the zone where you and i invest this early stage what would you say is most characteristic of the work that gets done during that period and the startups uh who make it out of that period
1: yeah so i tend to think of it as um three sort of stages in the early stage quote unquote you've got sort of what traditionally is called precede or concept stage or idea stage or sort of like it's just getting started and so that's where the founders are largely able, if they're able, they raise money from people they know, people who have learned and watched them over the years and seen that they have the ability to perform and succeed. And, and if they're successful, then people are very happy to give them capital because they've done it before. Sometimes those are people we know because they're famous. So, you know, if Travis was to go start another company, you and I would be running up there and be like, hey, 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 please hey, let us TK. invest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, some of those people are not famous, but we know them because we've, you know, spend a lot of time with entrepreneurs and we get to see them in the trenches, in the, in the arena, fighting Mm -hmm. it out. And, you know, we're, it's easy to bet on those people if you know them. Um, So that's
0: phase one. Phase one is I, you got an idea and you pass the hat with your friends and family, thus the term friends and family round.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and there are some investors who invest at that stage from institutional funds or from from their own capital and they'll even if they don't know you um you know one of the most well-known is a guy named charles hudson a precursor so he yep. started doing this super early um a long time ago when everyone thought he was crazy and he would write relatively small checks into lots of startups and the idea being oh if you invest in enough of them some of them will break out and then you know power law being power law that will return the fund mm. um and but traditionally and I think that's
0: worked out for charles who's been on the program many times yeah 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 charles is charles
1: is brilliant and he does good work so it's not surprising he's done very well yeah
0: all right phase two you 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 got the friends and family past the half phase you got an idea you're in the ideation you know you've got an idea of a market what's the next phase in this early stage you said there were three phases
1: so the that that's what we would call our sort of like pre-seed traditionally. Mm-hmm. Um now we're into seed stage. So seed mm-hmm. stage means you have some MVP, you have metrics, you have validation, which mm-hmm. is like hey, I've got this idea and I went to the market and I figured out if it was any good or not. Um here's my channel for instance, I've gone and done marketing tests to see that hey, I can acquire customers and people actually want this thing. But we don't have any metrics yet. Like we still and the MVP maybe works, maybe you've made it in, you know, who knows how you made it, it, it yeah. it's not it's not a scalable product, but it appears that there is a real thing here that customers want, and it appears that um uh we can scale this and and there's a big big tam big market opportunity um you know th- all the things that seem good look good, smell good n- mm. now with we got a potential v c investable um opportunity here. The one thing that you don't have usually at this point is you don't have. Significant revenue. So you're not looking at hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in revenue. You've got something in revenue, but probably maybe not very much. Um, You don't have month over month growth rates. And you don't have the core metrics that most VCs are really interested in, which is things like retention and churn and the virality of your product and Mm. your CAC LTV. And all the things that, you know, if you go and spend a lot of time looking at VC metrics, they're they're all this long list. You don't have any of those. But you do have something that seems like it's pretty good. And this is got what it. we'd normally call the seed stage. Um, it. And it's pretty big category. It's it can, and that can and the checks there can run anywhere from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars from investors.
0: Got it. So phase one, you're doing ideation, you're raising from friends and family. Phase two, you're raising from seed funds, you have an MVP, a minimum viable product, a prototype, some people have played with it, you have an idea of how you're going to reach them. That was the channel. So you got the MVP, you got the channel, channel, just, hey, where's this stream of users going to flow from? could be from a forum like reddit it could be from a mailing list it could be from a podcast it could be from instagram ads it could be from facebook ads any number of places uh could be your funnel and you do have maybe not the full complement of metrics but you may have 10 people using the product and you can study three of them and so you have some idea of how big this could get what it is Uh, And how how do people like it? So it's not strong product market fit. It's not market pull, of course, where the market is seeking you out. But it's something that's more (laughs) than nothing.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Um, Okay. So now the third phase. You said there were three phases in the early stage that you look at broadly. Uh, The third third stage
1: is what we would normally call seed plus or seed extension. And so what happens here, and this is very very common, is a startup will raise some money. They'll go into the market. They'll make contact with the market and the market Mm. will rip their face off. Like, Ah. yeah, great. I have this awesome idea. I went and I built something and it didn't work. And not only did it not work, I got my my ass handed to me. And most founders quit at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. A few, the ones that I really like, they take that opportunity to look at what they've learned, they to look at what the market is telling them, and they iterate. They're like, oh, well, it turns out that they don't want this game that I built, but this chat program I built to help me build the game, everybody loves that. I want to mm. start working on that. And that iteration cycle is messy. And it's most investors get really skittish in that sort of iteration cycle because the companies that are flailing look very similar to the companies that are doing good things. And yep. and so usually your insiders are the only investors who want to invest in you, or occasionally you get outside investors who get comfortable in that iteration cycle. But that iteration cycle is usually where the most magic things happen. Because mm. when you make contact with the market, very rarely does a company just go up into the right and like, off we go. Like, the first original idea was brilliance and everything else is good to go from there. Like for instance, in the video game turning into the chat, that's Slack. And like, it was, you know, um, Twitter, uh, that was a podcasting that turned into Twitter. So those iterations- ODO
0: to Twitter, yeah. Yeah, those
1: iterations are magical. And there's often, in my opinion, great opportunities there both as an investor and um, for the entrepreneurs, when they can learn from making contact with the market about what the market really wants, and then they can go build something that people actually really want. And then Mm. boom, you're off to the races, hopefully if you find that. And so what I like to say is that moment is the moment where you have real product market fit. And by product Mm. market fit, I mean, you can cold call a customer at nine o'clock at night on her cell phone, while well, she's putting her kid to bed, describe what you do in one sentence. And instead of her saying F- you, "Why are you calling me?" she's <laughs> yeah. like, "Oh my god, I need to talk to you tomorrow. I actually need that. I want that. That's yes, yeah. please." Um, and that's, that product market fit is a, like we could talk about that for hours. But that's a magical moment, and I get really excited when I when I find companies that have that.
0: You see these blue light glasses I'm wearing. I, I, I'm not wearing for style, although they are very stylish. They've totally changed my life. Why? I started having headaches right? And had eye strain. So I got these blue light blocking glasses that do a little magnification because I need readers. Yeah, I look nuts. But my eye strain's gone down, my headaches have gone away, and I'm sleeping better. Do you know how I got on this? I got on it because I now have a health coach. Who's my health coach? It's found F-O-U-N-T. It's a health company that's created custom health and performance programs that are tailored to your body, obviously also your goals, and uh, they take into account your lifestyle. My coach is incredible. I text with them all the time. They did a blood work for me. They check out my wearable data, and we do weekly calls to see if I'm on track and getting the results I want. They also told me about some supplements I should be taking based on the blood work, and they do it at a fraction of the cost. We upgraded my diet. I'm doing a little more protein. We've optimized my sleep. That's great. I got the supplement packs. I feel great. I feel like I'm in control of my destiny. If you want to be like me and you're you're concerned about your health and you want to just try to do better, have some experts on your team. Build your own program. Go to fount.bio Twist. That's F-O-U-N-T dot B-I-O slash twist. Get your free consultation. Mention Twist. You get $500 off your first month and get your own personal health coach. Health is well. And if you're running a startup, if you're a CEO, if you're a capital allocator, take it seriously. I love this service, found.bio slash twist. And a lot of founders uh, give up. They try one thing and they give up. And this is why, you know, I think part of the magic of the early stage is when you have builder founders, uh, you know, a developer, a designer, and a growth hacker (laughs) walk into a startup. You know, (laughs) that compliment, you know, you know, they run out of capital or they're on fumes. But they're still iterating on the product so hey listen, if we're going to, you know, use an analogy here of a restaurant, you got a space, you got customers walking by you start with the sandwich shop, Eh, you know, nobody really likes your sandwiches, uh, but everybody talks about the ice cream sundae at the end. And it's just because you made some really unique sundae and then people start coming in just for the sundae. You know, hey, want a sandwich like no, just I'm gonna go right for the Sunday and I wonder I brought my kid with me. Oh, and I brought my my co-worker like, so, wow, what's unique about this, you know, Sunday here. Uh, okay, let's put three Sundays on and let's change the name of the place from, you know, Zach and Jason sandwich shop to Zach and Jason's Sundays. And then all of a sudden, you do this like minor pivot just based on the feedback. And now you're running a Sunday, a Sunday shop. Now, if you were the investor, and you got sold on, hey, this is the best brisket sandwich you could ever have. This is the best, you know, Reuben in the world um and you come back and say hey we're making an ice cream parlor you're like what i didn't <laughs> invest in an ice cream parlor but if you come back and you say look the ice cream uh Sundays, we charge eight bucks for them cost us three and we're printing money and we sold 100 of them yesterday and uh guess what we suddenly find ourselves profitable <laughs> we can pay our rent now you got the magic right yeah. so just keep that in mind folks i think if you figure something out and you're actually the chefs yourself as opposed to just an idea person who has to hire a chef you're going to go a lot further. So watch the TV show the bear uh, great uh, show for entrepreneurship. Alright, let's get to some questions here. I think it's a really good overview. And this all every this is the suffering that we go through with startups after you have um, product market fit, and the Sundays are flying out the, the the front door and you got a line around the corner, then you need operators, you need to scale it, you got to figure out a way to get from 1000 to, you know, from 100 to 1000. And you got to figure it from one location to 10, yada, yada. So And there are people who have expertise in that that's typically when a series a happens. Um, So let's um, talk about the state right now. Uh, The state of fundraising I can tell you Zach being out there on the road raising our fourth fund and we're halfway done with it and we'll we'll finish up by the end of the year I think we'll be oversubscribed again. Um, But boy is this a lot more work than previous times. So maybe you could explain to the audience. What is going on right now. In the uh, underbelly, the plumbing the backrooms of the venture industry where limited partners, the people who give money to general partners, uh, you know, venture firms, limited partners can take the form of high net worth individuals fund to funds, endowments, uh, sovereign wealth funds, etc. Uh, those LPs and that GP relationship, those, uh, there's some texture there going on right now. And then of course there's what our GPs doing at venture firms in terms of investing in startups. Give us the back channel. What's going on in the back room right now, as you see it as that
1: Yeah. I mean, so the big, the, the big, uh, TLDR is everyone got drunk when interest rates were zero mm-hmm. and everything went to the moon. I mean, any idiot with a checkbook in our job. Literally mm. any idiot in a checkbook looked like a genius. A genius mm. for almost a decade, from mm. effectively from 2012 through 2022, everything went up. So like mm. over those years, it was like 50 percent compounding IRR every year. Everything going up. Everybody's super duper smart, and the LPs looked at that and they're like, "Look at us, we're geniuses. We invested in all this venture capital, and look at it go up." And mm. if you look back, you know, a couple of years ago, there were LPs releasing returns from their venture portfolios that were just unbelievable. I mean, it was like, I think MIT was releasing a 50% plus IRR for their entire portfolio, largely driven by venture Um, and other things. But but at the end of the day, ZERP, zero interest rates, like basically drove everything to the moon. And so like, for instance, I invested over those years in almost 80 companies and we only had two go bankrupt in all those years. So pre-seed early stage investing. And like, and that wasn't because I was smart. It was just because everything got funded again and again and again and again. And everything went up and every company had growth. And it was just like, it was amazing. It was, it was, was, there's a funny, it used to be in uh there was a bumper sticker you'd see around San Francisco in the Valley every now and then. They would say, please, God, just one more bubble. And they were referring mm-hmm. to the 2000 bubble and they just wanted yeah. to have one because it was so good back then. Yeah. And now,
0: now we like, it's like, oh, please, God, one more Zerp. Uh, <laughs> that was, it was like too easy. So it was a weird experience. I have to say the, the lack of shutdowns was always a red flag to me. And I had cool. many a conversation with founders who, you know, we said, hey, third, fourth pivot you know, big overhang, you've raised a bunch of money, lots of dilution on the cap table, you know, maybe after this pivot, we sell yeah. the company or shut it down. Um, and then, you know, take a break and, you know, go work somewhere or, you know, let's let's work on our next idea because there's no way to get over this overhang. You raised 20 million, you raised 10 million, no product market fit, it, it's not working. Yeah. And sure enough, there was always another investor sometimes a new investor who those founders who got really good at selling vision could yeah. get to put the incremental million dollar, two million dollar bridge into. And in fact, a lot of those companies maybe should have shut down. It would have been healthier, but they were able to hang on. um But yeah, 2022, 2023, I'm assuming the uh, two out of 80 changed to 10 or 20 out of 80.
1: You know, for me, I haven't, I haven't, we haven't lost one yet, but I mean, mm-hmm. God, we are dancing through a stream of bullets. I yep. mean, I had a company go through a fundraise where literally we like, we were ready to do the shutdown. We went out and like, we did the, 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 the soft landing attempts, which uh, none of them, normally we would have had a whole bunch of yeses. And like in this, in this environment, like nobody wanted to talk to this company. I mean, it was like. Explain full
0: sh- the soft landing that we talk about in the industry. Explain
1: what a Yeah, soft so landing what happens is. with a quote unquote soft landing is, is when a company is getting ready to hit the wall. And you know the product is not working, and the team is tired, and the investors are tired, and we're ready to sh- we're ready to shut this company down. Usually, we have some sort of asset that has built up. They could be customers, they could be a product, they could be just a team, they could be knowledge about how to build a particular thing. But usually there's some value in that entity that has accumulated over time. And you know, historically, all the way up until the last couple of years, because tech companies, the big fangs of the world, were growing so rapidly, and then all the baby tech companies that were trying to become fangs were growing so rapidly, they were always excited to acquire these small startups because you could get team, you could get tech, mm. you could get IP, you could get customers. There's things you could get out of these, and so they would, we would go to them with a the startup and be like, "Hey, we got this startup. It's got ten engineers, twenty people in total. Uh, they've raised, you know, call it seven million dollars." Um, and one of these big companies would buy the company um, and usually pay off the investors. So the investors made some money out of the deal. Oh, got mm. their money back. Usually you didn't make any money, but you got your money back. And then the founders and the team would get a job going to work for the big company. So this is traditional. We call an acquire. Um, yeah. And I mean, for many years, it was really easy to do. Um, I and mean, we've, I've sold in my portfolio, we've sold I think about 15 companies of the companies we've invested in and yeah. But everybody saves
0: face. It's a nice ending. The founders can take a win. You know, sometimes these, uh, acquisitions and acquires happen and the investors get nothing or they get like 10 cents on the dollar. But you know, oh, it gets an incredible tech crunch. Oh, this company's been acquired. Yeah. And you know, we know the truth on the inside. That was a terrible sale. To even qualify it as a sale would be dishonest. In some cases, it was a soft landing. And so you know, we we try to be de minimis in the industry. I'm sorry. Um, we try to be magnanimous in the industry. You know, there's no reason to like be like, oh wow, this failed, or oh wow, you returned two cents on the dollar, you lost ninety eight cents on the dollar. It was, hey, you made an effort. Hey, you you wound up at Google or, or Facebook or some other company, and uh you know, yeah, uh, we'll we'll see on the other side when you come up with your next idea. Yeah. Uh, but now people are not interested in doing that. I think in large part because they've laid off 20,000 people at Google, Facebook, Microsoft, pick the company Salesforce, they've, they've laid off 10 or 20,000 people. The idea of going even through the legal of a transaction to bring in, you know, a 10 person team, a 20 person team, a six person team, the, the juice, ain't worth the squeeze, because yeah. they got a line of people out the door that they could hire or rehire a boomerang. So that is the issue as you see it as well, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's the the sort of aqua hire soft landing market is, you know, a fraction of what it used to be. It still mm-hmm. happens in the case of if you build something that's very strategic and that there's a partner who really wants that, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, there's, there, there, those things do happen, but you know, it's, it's not like it used to be. Um, mm-hmm. It's become very challenging to say the least.
0: All right, everybody, product velocity is your goal. The faster you ship, the faster you get feedback. The more feedback you get from customers, the better you can make your product. But mind-numbing operational tasks are going to slow you down. So here's your solution. Coda's new AI-powered work assistant is going to help you get your product to market faster. Here's an insane demo if you're watching. You can use Coda AI to tag customer feedback, draft documents, suggest target audiences, and summarize your product discussions and more it's like adding two or three staff members to your team your sales team you know they bring in data from sources like salesforce and then they can use coda ai to suggest action items meeting agendas and source new leads so get started with coda ai today i use coda every day we love it what is coda uh, if you haven't used coda before it combines documents workflow and databases Basically, if you go to jtrading.com, we built that on Coda. Everything we're doing with Founder University, built on Coda. You can take advantage of this special limited time offer for startups right now. They're going to give you $1,000 startup credit. Get the startup credit right now. Don't wait. Coda.io slash TWIST. Bank the $1,000 credit. Start playing with it. It is awesome. They are an awesome platform. Again, I use it all day long. I love Coda. Oh, what a great product. All right. So let's do a couple questions here. How do you describe PMF, product market fit, in the simplest terms possible. You had a great analogy earlier. They yeah. said, hey, you call this person on a uh, Sunday <laughs> and they have no time for you, their kid's screaming, but they yeah. still say, hey, listen, I don't want to forget this. Can you email me and, and send me a calendar invite for tomorrow? Yeah. That, that was a really beautiful description of it. Let's unpack it a little bit more here. What else is a good sign that you have product market fit?
1: So, I mean, think back to like when, you know, Travis started Uber. Like, yeah. you know, he and I, we were at this party. They hadn't even started Uber yet. And we were at a party and he told me about it. And I was like, oh my God, push a button, get a car. Oh my God, I want that so bad. Yeah. Then, you know, given how brilliant I am, I convinced to argue with him for two hours about why I wouldn't work. I was like, dude, the taxi lobby's going to crush you. They're a big budget, mm. blah, 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 blah. He's like, I'm a fighter. I can beat them. And I mean, I wasn't investing then. So I don't know what I would have done. But mm. given the fact that I told him that it was a bad idea, I probably wouldn't have invested, so I'm kind of an idiot. Well,
0: you had cognitive dissonance, actually, so let's pause there for a second, and and this is important for people to understand who are angel investors or parts of syndicates um, or who are on the other side of the table of founders. A lot of times, the best ideas can be polarizing, and you could have conflicting ideas. One, Mm -hmm. regulation. You identified their number one headwind. It is regulation. Uh, The number uh, one reason it's awesome is because you wanted it. You yourself could see using it you understood the problem. So then we're left as investors or people looking to work at these companies or founders looking to pivot to say, Hey, is it worth taking on that battle? Do I want to spend the time to try to solve that problem startups at their core are a series of problems to be solved? Uh, Whether the problem is this product doesn't exist and I have to write the code or nobody's ever um, used a product like this. So I've got to convince them to try it. There's all these series of things. And so uh, that is part of the process. So I think you did the right thing by identifying those, but you don't want to over index on negativity. I've learned yeah, yeah, because a 1% chance at a 5,000 X return yep. is worth taking, uh, yep. implied odds wise, you know, yep. um, yep. let's talk about product market fit. I, the one I love most is when, uh, somebody who has the product in a company starts telling other people in the company. Yeah. About it. This could be called word of mouth. In net promoter, this could be a promoter as opposed to a detractor or an indifferent person. So, one way you know you have this is when people come and start using your product and you ask them, How did you find out about the product? If word of mouth is in there, a friend told me, a colleague told me, My Lord, you've done it. You've done it. That is product market fit. When somebody tells another person to use it, they use it and they become a customer. <whistles> That's it, baby. That's as good as it gets in my mind because now your product is growing while you're asleep and doing nothing. Yeah. Like literally, your product's growing. Other signs yeah. for you of product market fit starting to click things you've actually seen in the real world where you said, ah, you know, there's, I mean, something's I think happening that, here.
1: That really nails the, the the core of it, which is when the market starts pulling the product out of you and mm-hmm. needing and wanting the product more, and you are no longer pushing, when you're no longer having to go out there and bang on heads and spend a lot of time trying to convince people to use your product, but people instead are sending you long emails about all the things that are wrong with your product and what they would like you to fix and how they'd like you to prove it. And the word of mouth is happening. And all mm. of a sudden there starts to be this sort of like movement around what you've built. Um, then, you know, like, for instance, I'll give you an example. I, uh, I invested a long time ago, in this thing called mud water, which is a mushroom tea company. Yes. And, um, fantastic product. It's an unbelievable product. If you want to quit drinking coffee now mm. for, for many, many years, I've been a coffee drinker. And so like, I'm like, I love it, but I, I don't drink. I don't, I drink coffee. And then recently I decided to try to stop, quit drinking coffee, see what happened. And oh my God, mud water is like, it's like, it's like magic when it comes to like, when I'm really needing coffee, I have a mud instead. And like, it totally solves the problem. And like that, that's when we get to product market fit is when you have those sort of magic moments. And we Mm. saw that early on when we invested in the company, it was like, the company was just like, it was just growing like crazy. And the word of mouth was happening. And people were like, I'm so excited about this. And it was like, that's just magic. Fireworks now, what
0: not product market fit i think is equally as important uh, yeah. and one thing i will tell you is not product market fit is you ask your friends or you ask vcs or you ask civilians about your product they give you feedback they tell you it's amazing uh, they tell you it's great they tell you all these ideas for your product the reason why that's super dangerous is you've manufactured that feedback that's mm-hmm. not feedback that's unsolicited that is solicited feedback When you explicitly start asking people to give you feedback on your product you're giving them permission and people are gracious people generally speaking are rooting for entrepreneurs they're rooting for underdogs so they're going to give you a bunch of feedback but if they don't actually use your product what good is their feedback i'm not uh, a couch surfing person so when airbnb and the 1.0 came out you know i had a lot of feelings on it i was like this is crazy you know you're going to wind up on a serial killers couch my as a, you know, 40 year old at the time, my feedback as a 40 year old who could afford to stay in hotels uh and liked room service, uh, you know, and 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 liked, you know, I don't know, but fancy, but nicer hotels and, and nice linens and, and had a whole list of things was not pertinent. Yeah. yeah. The 25 year old J would have been like, you know what? I couldn't afford a hotel in Tokyo. I would have stayed for 10 days, I would have worked out of there if possible. This would have opened up a world of possibilities because I didn't want to stay in a hostel, but I would have stayed in an extra bedroom, sure. So make sure that the feedback you're getting now Airbnb today, where they have full houses. And I like to bring a family or maybe two families, uh, you know, bring my sister in law or my brother and their family and you have two families staying at a house. I have a long list of things. Yes, washer and dryer is important. Yes, pre ordering food, uh, you know, having a barbecue, all that stuff is great having kids toys, whatever. I have a, a list of feedback for when I'm there with multiple families at a house when I'm traveling that I would love to give and that's valid feedback. So just make sure you're not getting silly feedback. The feedback from customers who pay is so important, especially when they churn. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so just be careful that you're not manufacturing product market fit. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, Let's take another question from our audience. How hard is it for first time founder to raise pre-seed any advice to help it or what to wait for. I'm going to say hey, you know, what what to wait for as in what could improve about your startup that would increase your chances. So let's take it um first, how hard is it to raise pre-seed? Um
1: I mean, it really depends on who you know and how much they trust you and how much they believe in you. So, Got it. you know, if you're you know, uh, the son of a billionaire, you know somebody rich, it's probably pretty easy. You know, yeah. if you're, um, you know, growing up in a community that doesn't have access to money and you don't know a lot of people have access to money, it becomes a lot harder. And so if you're if you have to move beyond the people who know you, then and you don't know people who have the ability to write checks to help you get the thing off the ground, um, it becomes much, much harder. And mm. and I, what I like to say is, is that ideas are worthless. So you have an idea and so does everybody else. It doesn't mean anything. Validated ideas are priceless. And so what that means is that if you can show that that idea could work, that people want the product, that you actually have a channel, that you actually can build it. If you can demonstrate that this thing is real and can be big, suddenly you move from something which is like everybody has an idea and the hundreds of emails I get every day from people who have ideas are trying to raise money and I just hit archive, archive, archive. Uh, doesn't matter. You move from that category to suddenly to a category of viability and potentially mm. something that could raise money from people who don't know you. Then you've kind of broken into that. But even still, super duper hard because there's a well whole said.
0: Yeah, whole well series said.
1: of challenges to get in front of someone like Jason, get in front of someone like me, to get into Y Combinator, to get into you know any of the other great accelerators that are out there, to find people to invest in you. Like you, you need to prepare for a full-time job of hustling. Hustling yes. is harder than you've ever hustled before. And even then, it, it could take a very long time. So, like when I, and my last company, it took, we raised $15,000 in the first year. So, from wow. for the first year of operation, we had from $15, one person 000. or
0: two people, three people, five
1: each, A couple people, a couple yeah, small so two, angels. Yeah. And that, but that kept us alive.
0: Yeah. So, let's pause for a second here um, on uh, raising money. Uh, this is a really great insight. Uh, the majority of people do not have a rich network. So we'll just put it at that, right? 6% of the country are accredited investors who are legally allowed to invest in private companies. Now, of course, in the p- most private friends and family, people raise money from non-accredited. So we'll put that aside for now, um, the legal issues around it. So, you know, talking about 90% of the company, let's say, is never invested in a small business, uh, whether it's a deli or, you know, uh, Airbnb. So I think going through a test, who are the 10 wealthiest people you know, in your network, and just emailing them and asking them or asking them over text. Um, I'm starting a company. I have two quick questions for you. One, have you ever invested in a startup before? Or a small business? Number two, if no, would you consider it? Um, and just quickly assessing, uh, and you can tell them because I'm starting a company, I just wanted to pitch you on it um and it's fine to say no and so you just get that really quick and if one and two are 10 out of 10 have never done it before i think you've got the answer they've never done it you might be able to convince them to but yeah it's going to be it's going to be hard if nine out of 10 say yeah of course i've invested in three or four companies um and yeah sure i'd love to hear your pitch well now you know your network is uh, a network with people in it who do this so just be just run a little a b test to your point about validation the more validated you get the more credibility you have. Uh, the easier it is to, you know, start meeting investors, angel investors in a Silicon Valley. So if you have 100 hours of work that you can do in the next month, right, let's say you're doing this on the weekends, would you allocate 100 hours? How would you allocate those 100 hours Zach, to um, validating your product, your thesis, building out your MVP, or reaching out to investors, let's say you have nothing right now but an idea? Month one, two, and three, you have a hundred hours of work. I'm only How? spending hours validating. Yeah, until I hundred percent,
1: hundred percent. Like so, I'm not even spending time working on my idea until mm-hmm. I've validated that people actually want it. So, like for example, here's a good way to validate it. Let's say you're building a consumer product. Let's say you're just building any product. You go onto Google and mm-hmm. you find the the keywords that people would search for your product. So, let's say you're building a um, a new AI video tool to help parents, uh, do cool stuff. Um, and like you go in there and you figure out what people would type into Google. Cause people type everything into Google to search for that. And mm. you make an ad for what you're making for them, what you hope to make for them. Yep. And then you put that ad into Google and you write the, the ad for why it works. Uh, and then you make a landing page that says coming soon. Would you like to get on the invite list? Submit your email address and then they submit their email address, and then the next page, or the next panel, is like, oh, why do you want this? What's important to you? And then you mm. just keep asking them questions until you start noticing them falling off. And you spend some little bit of money on that, and boom, you're very quickly gonna realize, do people click on the first ad? Because if they don't want it, they're not gonna click on it. If they really want it really bad, they're gonna like, click, 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 click. You're gonna have a high CTR, and you're gonna have something really, really viable. Do they submit the email address? Do they leave mm. comments? Like that, so quickly a will classic prove Classic landing page
0: how. technique um, that takes a day of work.
1: Nope, five but hours. Nobody weeks. does it. Like, literally, I see, it. I see zero no. startups that come in when they're pitching. Yeah. They're like, oh, here's our landing page technique approach. Here's the outcomes and here's
0: the metrics. And I'm like, they never ha- they never do it. And here I typed in AI tool, video tool. The autocorrect or autosuggest on Google added the word free. So I thought I'd add that. Sure. And to your point, the first. <laughs> sponsored ad is from Vimeo, this product actually exists, yeah. then one from Adobe, <laughs> yep. the new Adobe Express, grab the best AI video maker, it exists, yep. and then uh, turn video into AI create stunning videos with AI video leap app. So I don't know who that is. And you know, <laughs> what you learn very quickly is not only is this validated, but you have two of the largest players in the world doing it. And then Already a third there, yeah. person who's a startup right here with that product in market. So Do you have to validate from that point on? No, you've got massive competitors. You're too late to the market, perhaps. Or perhaps there's a good opportunity for you to do something that's got a beachhead market, a channel, a a bigger niche. Maybe it's just for parents and baby pictures. Maybe it's just for family photos. Um, So there you have it. A very simple way for you to validate is landing pages. And that's the the category you want to look at. Um, Someone needs to write
1: a book about this. Like just startup validation. Just like yeah. here's how to validate your startups, so like and just like yeah, go through all exact, different categories yeah. and like yeah.
0: uh, just with examples, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and you know, yeah. to your point uh, and to the person's question, we saw this as an opportunity. We have this Founder University, which we did as two days, which we changed to a twelve week program now. And we had two thousand people apply, Zach, for Founder right. University uh, for the twelve week course. We accepted four hundred fifty people representing two hundred twenty teams. And I added, would you like to be considered for the launch funds $25,000 friends and family investment? What percentage of people who filled out their weekly progress report, do you think check that box? You had to pick what 10, percent 10% people?
1: just because people are bad at that.
0: 60%. Wow, okay. Oh, And this is at a $1 million valuation. So it wow, is a okay. 25k check at a million dollar valuation. Oh. Six out of 10 people click it every week. Cool. I did that as a test. So talking about AB testing and product validation, I didn't know I thought maybe, you know, people have their own 25k. So they're just, you know, if I was starting a company today, I would put 250k in for my own pocket, you would put 500k in. you've done really well for yourself. Um, And then maybe you'd call some of your friends and say, Hey, I'm raising at a $5 million valuation, $10 million valuation, friends and family around, I'm putting in 250 myself, you want to put in 250 again. Yeah. But you know, we forget the days where you were raising 15. It's a yeah, pretty scary awesome. concept to, for you Zach at that time to find 15K in your own personal account and then oh, write yeah. it to the company. Yeah, I didn't have you, it You like didn't then. have it. Yeah. Um, and so I was just shocked. You know, how? guess how many in the last two classes we have those checks we wrote. Take a guess. Uh, 460%, so
1: 240, you wrote 100 of them. 46.
0: Wow, uh, that's 46. awesome. That's cool. That's quite an awesome. 25 k yeah. checks, and yeah. I'm just like, you know, when this thing gets to three hundred of these, yeah, which is only seven point five million, yeah, I'm going to be really interested to look at, at what I got, of these, yeah, uh, what I got, right? Yeah, and just just yeah. Little twenty five k micro checks. What's in yeah. there? And then yeah. uh, you know, it's, so you we as uh, investors also ab test concepts and and try them, and we'll see what happens, right? We're running the test. We we got there's a market for it. Now, let's see if the returns are there, right? Yeah. Uh, So we'll see very quickly
1: that that's really fascinating. It's really different. It kind of goes back to the original Charles Hudson idea of writing really small checks or really low valuations into a lot of companies and then seeing what happens from that. Mm. But you've got, because of your media empire and because of the footprint that you have all the infrastructure and the team and all the stuff that you've built, you've got the ability to do that at scale, which is like, yeah, I like that idea. I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see what comes out of that. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah.
0: I got, um, it's, gonna be interesting it's kind of part of my launch for pitch if you want to read that launch.co slash memo (laughs) i wrote a deal memo but well in this third fourth fund we're doing my plan is to have 300 of those checks in the Uh, fund yeah and then to invest a second time in maybe the the top 20 percent of those so maybe 60 of them would get a 100 to a 500k check from us and then that would put us at you know five to ten percent ownership in those companies. the winners of that company if you think of it like a funnel yeah yeah yeah. um so we'll see It's a great way to do it. I like it. That's smart. Yeah, it's it's an experiment, right? It'll be 7.5% of the $100 million fund, uh, hopefully. Founders always ask me for pitch deck punch-ups and how to present their startup in a better way. Well, I've got some great news. We worked with a team at Miro, the awesome whiteboarding software, to create an amazing pitch deck template for founders. You can see it if you're watching the video right now, or uh, you can just go search for it. You go to Miro.com slash Miroverse and search for pitch deck you'll find it immediately. And this uh, pitch deck will help you go from zero to VC ready. Our founder university participants, they love using this template. It starts them on second or third base. And if you're hybrid or fully remote, Miro is incredibly useful to you. It's like an old school in-person whiteboarding session, but distributed and asynchronous. So you can work on your time schedule. Miro lets you brainstorm ideas and collaborate on projects from anywhere in the world, whether you're in the Adirondacks or you're in Cabo or you're skiing in Lake Tahoe. When you think about Miro, think zero to one, but faster. And Miro is so much more than a simple digital whiteboard. Your team can collaborate on planning, research, design, and feedback cycles. Now remember, faster inputs equals faster outcomes, and velocity is how startup wins. We look for product velocity in all of our startups. So to access our new Miroverse template and thousands of others, sign up today for a free Miro account at Miro, M-I-R-O startups. Again, miro.com slash startups miro.com slash startups. So an interesting question. Somebody asks that they are going to be coming to the Bay Area for two weeks starting Sunday. Any advice on how to efficiently meet VCs and pitch my startup? Okay, so they're just showing up. They're showing up and they want to walk down uh, walk Sand down Hill Sandow. Road and yeah. just pitch folks. Yeah, yeah what's yeah, your advice pitch. there? Is that exactly how it works? Or uh, no,
1: no, no. Uh, okay. I would, I would change the expectations. Uh, no. At the end of the day, Silicon Valley is a is a place of relationships, and it's about, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, it's a place of giving, which is like you in Silicon Valley when you show up. The, nobody knows you. And the only way to really break in here, the best way to break in here is to just do favors. So it's funny when um, Joseph Walla, who was the founder of uh, HelloSign, um, he uh, was on my debate team and uh, my ex-wife and him were really good friends. And so when he first moved to Silicon Valley, I, he was like, what do I do? How do I break in here? I was like, look, it's really simple. You just go to as many events as you possibly can. And you go, there's tons of events happening in San Francisco every day, all over. You meet people and you just help them. You figure mm. out ways that you can be useful to them in scalable yeah. ways, like not where you're going to go work for them or going to put hours and hours of work in, but like where you can make an introduction or you can help them find a customer or you can do something useful for them. And you just plant these seeds throughout the city, throughout the valley. You're just constantly mm. meeting people and helping. And you're helping mm. in, in ways that are valuable to them, but low cost to you. And you just do it over and over and over again. And it takes a long time, but those seeds, they become an orchard and that orchard bears fruit like you wouldn't believe because the Valley creates so much amazing wealth and so much promise and potential and awesomeness that like, if you're out there helping people, they will give back to you like you wouldn't believe, but it takes time. You can't just come here and show up and be like, oh, I'm just gonna go pitch people and then everyone to give me money. You're gonna, you, need to, you need to know that like your, your time in Silicon Valley, if you wanna really come here is about relationships. Now, once you have a company that's scaling and you're growing and you have month over month metrics, totally different story. But in the beginning, it's about helping people.
0: Yeah, I call this the uh, Johnny Appleseed uh, strategy. Yep. Johnny Appleseed, actually a real person. And what he did was he planted a bunch of apple trees from apple seeds. And then he took those um, seedlings, I guess, whatever you call a small tree, um, and he uh, sold those or gave them to people to start their own uh, apple orchards. And this uh, planting of seeds and being you know in a minor way helpful to people um really scaled for him and uh that's the strategy you're talking about it could be just uh setting up dinner with three or four people you know and then this was my hack when i was trying to break into the industry i would find one or two people who wanted to have dinner with me i would get a reservation for six or eight at a mexican or pizza joint somewhere oh, where i could yeah. put a bu- super cheap and i could put yeah. a bunch of food on the table chinese food as well and i just say hey everybody um, I'd say the two people. Hey, do you know anybody interesting? I have uh, an extra seat or two, and I'd ask those two people. They'd say, "Yeah, I know this person, this person." I'm like, "Okay, great. Can you introduce me to them? I'll talk to them on the phone." Hey, what are you working on? You listen. You ask a couple of questions. Then you invite them to come to dinner, and they say, "Oh, by the way, somebody dropped out. I have one extra seat. Yeah. You know anybody? I you know two or three interesting people." Um, or you could just cold email people. Hey, I'm having dinner with three or four people. Would you like to come to dinner? I would do this constantly. Yeah. I remember one time I was in at Sundance with David Sachs and Elon Musk. It was the preview of Thank You For Smoking. Yeah. And uh, Walter Mossberg was there and I was having a yeah. coffee with Walter Mossberg and I was like, Walter, hey, uh, can I bring my friend Elon? And he, he Walter, uh, no, uh Walter Mossberg got a little upset at me. He's like, listen, I don't want to take pitches. You know, I'm just here, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, okay, no, I won't bring Elon. <laughs> and I didn't bring Elon. Oh, wow. Um, Cause wow. he called me out on it. He was wow. savvy. He knew wow. I was using his name in my relationship with him from Engadget. Yeah to help Elon because yeah. I wanted him yeah, to review the yeah, Tesla whatever when yeah, it came yeah. out. So oh, he kind of wow. saw right through it. He called me out oh, on it. Wow. I was like, you know, I got Elon with me. Can I bring him? Elon didn't ask me to do that. I was yeah. just doing yeah, it because yeah. I was trying to help Elon yeah. out because the, you know, the car company was failing. Yeah, um, and so those favors. stories, well, those stories of me helping people, whether it was Travis before Uber or Elon, you know, when he had just uh, started the the Tesla journey, those, a lot of those are legendary stories now of just trying to be helpful to people be of service try to help people it all comes back so less focus on you more focus on um, helping others and it all comes back it's a huge giant favor bank here Mm -hmm. uh, and goodwill so keep building up that goodwill every chance you get all right dave asks you discussed money going after everything in a zerp environment a zero interest rate phenomenon i think is what the p stands for environment what attributes of companies uh, that are getting funding today, more stable and break even different industries, what is working today? Great question. What is the profile? Let's leave out the type of company like AI, We everybody knows AI companies are getting funded. But what is the what are the attributes the qualities of uh, the variables that you see help people clear market in the seed stage? Let's, let's put this on seed stage. And then we'll do series A as well what are the qualities you see at the seed stage any of the three phases we outlined and then at the series a
1: i mean the the, the biggest thing is that every everybody was able to raise money uh, a few years ago in zerp um mm-hmm. and raising capital was easy capital was free it was it was like it was quite a, quite a wild time Today, the bar is substantially higher. And what that yeah. means is, is like when you go into your buddy, your friend, you're racing in pre seed, and you go to your friend and you're like, hey, I got this crazy idea, I want to do it. Two or three years ago, they were getting 0% on their bank deposits. The the stock market was overly inflated, so it didn't make sense to go buy public equities. Uh, Their house prices were through the roof, so they didn't want to go buy more houses. They had cash sitting in the bank, and they were like, I don't know what to do with it. Okay, fine, I'll invest in this crazy startup. You didn't have an alternative. Today, you're making 6% on your cash sitting in a a very safe investment uh, vehicle. Uh, Houses are cheap. Uh, er, uh, cheaper. theoretically cheaper uh, depending yeah. on um,
0: where you want to well, go and they're on the market for six months so you're, you're not yeah. like you're, you're having to rushed. overpay and come over the top so you can take your time and pick the right house for you so that's true
1: Public mm-hmm. equities are all over the place. So there's some things that are Scary. overpriced, some things that are massively underpriced. Like there's opportunities everywhere to deploy capital right now. And mm-hmm. smart capital allocators who are sitting on capital, whether they're your friend, Bob, who's a dentist who has a couple extra 100K or their multi-billion dollar fund, they've all got places to put their capital. So and you're so, in competition. So you literally have gone from a place where the FOMO... Oh, oh, by the way, and two or three years ago, everything was going up. Every startup went up 50%. So like, I would feel so dumb when I would pass on a startup and then see somebody come in and mark it up at a crazy price. Every time that happened, I was like, I'm an idiot. I should have done that deal. So the FOMO was raging back then. uh, And now, not so much. Now, the alternative, we're all looking at startups that are fighting to stay alive. uh, And we're looking at- So what are
0: the qualities of those startups, the ones that you see getting a 500 to a to a million dollar check from a seed fund let's yeah. start there you know yeah. pair first round uh you know some seed stage fund yourself me well what are the qualities of those companies
1: yeah so we could we could break it into the three groups if we want or we can just make it sure. simple in the beginning you either you've either validated an idea and if you've a validated idea in a big market and it's it's a great opportunity and you can prove it call me call Jason, call other people. Yeah. You're very quickly gonna figure out if we are excited about your validation or not, or I'll tell you, I'll be like, uh, this is what I need to see. Um, mm-hmm. And that validation, if you have that, great. Now, you doesn't really matter. Anyone who validates a big idea in a big market that has the chops to build it is gonna find that investors are uh, gonna be excited to talk so to them. So that
0: second piece, you, you kinda just subtly put it in there, has the chops to build it, yeah. is critically important. Yeah, you know, we could build a landing page and validate it. But if you're just an idea guy or gal, and you're a solo founder, chances go way down. So if you're a team of three, man, chances go way up. Because I think investors correctly see teams of three as having a greater chance of survival. And it's more serious. And you've proven that you can get two other people to come on the journey with you, like Shackleton getting people to go to the North or South Pole or wherever he went, like pretty, pretty uh, hard to convince people to come on a journey. And if two or three of the people two out of the three are actual builders who can actually build the thing and have the chops to build it and have previously built stuff and are in the process of building the prototype and you can show each week or two, Hey, we made a little more progress. That's going to be specifically very attractive to our firm. We really like builder founders. We really like multiples of founders and we really like product velocities the internal term we use.
1: Yeah. I mean, so if you if you come to me and you're like, hey, I invented a new battery that runs a 1,000 miles, you know, unless you literally are the world's expert in batteries, um, I'm just going to hit archive on that. If yeah. you come to me and you're like, hey, I got this idea that's trivial to build and I can build it really easily, you know, um, and there actually is a moat, you know, that's another hard part, then, yeah. you know, suddenly you might find people get interested. So the question is not so much, what what are the capacities of your builders is what are you trying to build and is it possible to be built by you Mm -hmm. and your team
0: yeah and so this is absolutely critical at the series a yeah it's pretty straightforward you're you're looking for i would say 10 percent month over month growth two to three x growth year over year so you're doubling from 250k to 500 to 750k uh, or you're going from 500k to 1.2 million or from 700 K to 1.7 something in that range, two to three x growth in the low millions of dollars is going to be interesting for a series a today could be as little as 500 K could be as much as two or 3 million to get a series a to get that VC to say this is one of my 10 boards I'm going to be on and this is one of my $5 million I have 10 $5 million series a checks to write. Uh, you know, I'm going to buy 10% of your business. I'm going to spend the next 10 years with you. Uh, if it works, that's what you're looking at. Doubling your revenue year over year on a base of let's call it 500 to 1 million, something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Minimum. And one thing that is really important right now is capital efficiency. So if you spent $5 million to get a million dollars in revenue, you're going to find that most investors are going to be very skeptical of that. The unit economics of how you acquire customers And then what those customers are worth really, really matters today. Hmm. Two or three years ago, nobody cared. Like You had all sorts of crazy companies that were being funded that had negative unit economics, where it cost them more to acquire a customer than they would ever make from those customers. But people didn't care. As long as you had growth, you were able to raise more capital. Now people are going to look very closely at what is your cost of acquiring customers? And then what is the value of those customers? And what's the long-term value of the business? Because right now in the public markets, you can buy SaaS companies very very cheaply like you yes. can buy SaaS companies at a very low price and so Five, if I can 10 e-
0: 15 times revenue yeah
1: yeah i mean uh, it's it's amazing how cheap they it's are.
0: amazing I yeah i mean and so if you were in that position um and you if if you were trying to pitch david Sachs for your series a or, or lemkin jason lemkin two really great SaaS investors and you'd deploy 10 million to get to 1 million arr that is wildly inefficient yeah uh, now, if you spent 3 million to get to 1 million ARR, they're going to say, hey, wow, for the first million in great, how much is it going to cost you to get the next uh, million is it going to cost you 2 million to get a million in is going to cost you 1 million. And the closer you get to that one to one ratio, I spent a million to make a million in reoccurring revenue, I think they're going to be delighted. When you start to get to three, four five times, they're going to go, huh? Are you just? throwing parties and and (laughs) flying first class to conferences and just not being thoughtful about the growth. So if you are lucky enough to have growth, it has to be thoughtful growth, it cannot be spastic. um, You know, wasteful growth. So capital efficiency, you're gonna hear that term all the time, multiple founders and builder founders are also capital efficient. The other piece of capital efficiency that we love internally is the company doesn't go out of business. If the company is capital efficient, they get a they they might have 24 months of runway. When we see people raising money, they got six months of runway, they're constantly coming to us nine months and they're in a panic. We're like this person is not doing great financial planning. And it's usually because it's three idea founders who want to pay themselves 200k each and then hire a third party dev shop for a million dollars a year. That may have worked in Zerp that you're blowing 1.6 million that way not going to work here. Hire your own developers, get them internal. That's the key um or have them as co-founders ideally all right uh listen big big breaking news story while zach and i were taping here sbf's former romantic partner who is the ceo of alameda research took to the stand for the first time today zach in the sbf trial according to reports from inside the courtroom it's not televised but people are reporting from inside the courtroom um uh, allison admitted to fraud during her time in alameda under sbf's direction that second part really uh, important. Uh, This is Carolyn Ellison, I believe is her first name. She placed the blame for misuse of FTX user funds directly on SBF, claiming he quote set up the systems leading to Alameda taking roughly 14 billion from FTX. Some more quotes from Carolyn Ellison, Alameda took several billion billions of dollars from FTX customers and used it for investments. I sent balance sheets that made Alameda look less risky than it was. Prosecutors made Ellison's point made Ellison point out sbf and say everything was under his direction um and uh here is an excerpt from ellison's back and forth with prosecutors these are from uh inner city press um on x thank you to them who uh they cover sdny trials that's the southern district of new york the hardcore folks uh prosecutors how do you know the defendant ellison we met at jane street then alameda we dated for a couple of years uh, jane street i met the founders of that uh firm really interesting uh savvy firm prosecutors did you commit crimes ellison fraud what others with others yes prosecutors do you see sam back ellison he's over there prosecutors what's his involvement in the crimes ellison he was the head of alameda then ftx he directed uh. me to commit these crimes prosecutors what makes you guilty ellison alameda took several billions of dollars from ftx customers and used it for investments prosecutors, what was the defendant's role? He set up the system and told us to take the money. How much did Alameda take to repay its lenders in the Ellison in the ballpark of 10 billion, ultimately around 14 billion prosecutors, how did you defraud Alameda lenders? Ellison, I sent balance sheets that made Alameda look less risky than it was prosecutors. Why was there not enough money for customers in November 22? Ellison, we had take we had taken it to repay lenders. Wow uh well i guess she's flipped and is going for a smaller sentence but what, what do you think of this entire crypto space writ large did you invest in it and what do you think this trial um which is obviously going to result in a massive sentence for spf i think he's getting life in prison or at least 30 plus years i set the over under at 30 years everybody took the over so i, mean, I didn't set a great line but what, what do you what do you think this case represents in the bigger picture here
1: I mean, I've always been highly skeptical of crypto because it's 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 fundamentally it has beautiful product market fit for doing illegal <laughs> like it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing product market fit for illegal things. Speaking like, of it's product so market fit, and yes. I think a lot of people like they see the growth and they see the money that's flowing into crypto and they're like, oh, there's a real thing here. And it's like, no, it's really good for illegal. Shit. Amazingly good at that. Yeah. Um... And, you know, I think, I think this is a great example of that, which is, you know, they, they engaged in a giant fraud, um, because of the nature of crypto crypto facilitates and makes it so easy to do this. And they yes. just, they, 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 it's amazing the, 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 It's level amazing of what
0: digital, digital money and the ability to create your pop up your own currency. If they yeah. didn't have this FTT token, they made, yeah. if they didn't have the ability to move money around seamlessly, if people didn't pour money into the system. To gamble in their casino, uh, yeah. they, they wouldn't have had the opportunity to do this. If this was actual real dollars, there would have been real controls in place. If this was equities, yeah. uh, this was people's Netflix shares, there would be really serious controls in place. But yeah. because they were playing with an entirely new paradigm shifting, I'm using air quotes, there <laughs> paradigm shifting technology, all regulation, all controls were removed. What do you think happens? if you play chaos, and we had a poker game, where one time Chamath and Skydate and my friends were like, okay, let's play an orbit of no rules poker. (laughs) There's now no rules. Uh, You can do whatever you want. And so me and Chamath leaned over to each other, we put our four cards together and said, we're playing from the same four cards. Yeah. Uh, And then somebody else said, okay, great. I get to take two cards from the bottom of the deck because I'm the button the button now gets to take two and it immediately turned into chaos. It was Lord of the Flies. Uh, and and then then it was like okay if I have a deuce I get everybody stacked first person to turn <laughs> yeah, over course. deuce and then course, I turn yeah, over a deuce yeah. seven and I get everybody stacked it, it was complete chaos yeah. what do you think when a bunch of young entitled and I don't want to say brilliant but you know above average intelligence let's say and yeah. above average tech savvy you give yeah. them their own casino and say do whatever you want make any rule you want and they're like okay great uh let's tell everybody that they are guaranteed to double their money playing roulette and then let's have everybody lose 90 percent of the time go yeah yeah Yeah. i mean it's just the the michael lewis quotes were just did you watch any of the michael michael lewis quotes go by Um, some of
1: the things he he appeared to have gotten snowed pretty hard so i um it's
0: really uh, weird
1: yeah i'm 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 really really Uh, interested to see if Tether's role in all this comes out. Because at the end of the day, Tether is literally, has the ability to print money whenever they want, wherever they want, at billions and billions of dollars. And it appears that what they do is they basically take that and they fund all these exchanges like the biggest one they had, FTX, and they Mm -hmm. give them the ability to print billions of dollars as a loan Mm quote-unquote um so the the exchange is able to basically have access to free capital to go Mm. to go gamble and that it appears what happened here is that ftx at the end of the day they gambled with their loans they lost them and then they had to steal from their customers to pay them back
0: and the great part of all this is one of the bets they placed was on anthropic and (laughs) apparently like I don't know exactly what the numbers were, but supposedly there's this $500 million number. Now, I don't know if that's how much they put into Anthropic or how much their Anthropic stake is worth. But um, supposedly they wanted to bring that up in the trial. And the judge is like, yeah, yeah like the no, prosecutors are no. like, no. no, you don't get to, you know, do a parlay with the Jets and the Giants. And then you hit some crazy parlay and you yeah. win with stolen money. And then yeah. because you paid back the grandma you stole it from yeah, yeah. Uh, and then gave her interest. Yeah. You, you don't, you, sorry. That's not how, uh, stealing works. Um, well, anyway, yeah, it's, uh, this is, uh, absolutely disastrous. Speaking of disastrous, the city of San Francisco has lost their mind. And I know, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but cruise was one of your great investments of all time. Am I correct?
1: It was one of my first, uh, so we invested is the fir- second investment I ever made. First, obviously billion dollar eggs that I've ever had. So I was like, woohoo, look at that. And, nice. and you know what? It really, really makes my heart. Warm to see them getting all the progress that they're getting mm. because every year 40,000 people in America die from human driver error. There's no mm. other, the only cause of people dying from car crashes is humans being stupid. They're yeah. looking at their phone, they're drunk, they're not paying attention, they're just driving like morons. 40,000 dead people a year just in the US alone, and yeah. robot cars are going to eliminate that. Yeah, we we will literally about- have virtually no deaths. From that ever again, it's like curing cancer. It's like so freaking huge. So I get it's really amazing. excited when I see them driving around.
0: Now. Well, and we we talked on all in. If you just look at the top three or four reasons people die in car accidents, is you know drunk driving, speeding, distracted driving, not wearing a seatbelt. Yeah, all four of those are opt in by stupid humans. Yeah, like stupid humans get in cars, don't use their seatbelt, use their phone, drink, and yeah. speed. Yeah, uh, and so cars just uh, automated cars can't do. Any of those four, so the top four killers are removed immediately. Um, what did you see? That was a deep tech investment that you made, I think, a decade ago, right? One yeah, of your yeah. First yeah. investments. How did you make that deep tech investment that you knew was going to be a long bet? What, what gave you the courage to do it at that time uh, and make that long bet?
1: It was all Kyle. So Kyle, the founder of Cruise, I had tried to hire him. Uh, to work for me for many many years for over a decade i I met him when he first started with justin tv and i was like wow this guy's brilliant Mm. he's like he's really really good and i was like please come work for me please come work for me and he was like yeah no yeah no he's smart Mm. enough to to avoid uh that and so when uh the justin tv team split off and they ended up starting twitch they ended up starting um uh, exact which was justin's thing uh the, and then they ended up starting uh social social cam yeah michael's thing was social cam and then kyle went and started um cruise um i, I was just like in love i'm like this guy's really good and so and yeah. the market is so big i mean you think about mm. the scale of the market for autonomous driving I mean, is like it's huge I mean, trillions yeah. and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars i mean it's like it's so probably one of the biggest is, markets in the world
0: we have yeah the tam is ridiculous so san francisco is uh one of the test beds uh a hit and run driver hit an individual yeah that individual tragically ricocheted off the hit and run driver the human yeah and got pinned under a cruise car yeah uh no problems with the cruise car yet the local socialist communist lunatics fringe in san francisco including the san francisco chronicle which is i think a bunch of lunatic (laughs) Communist, commie bastards over there. Uh, f- feel free to quote this. They're just,
1: they're just, they just—they have mind worms. Their brains. Their brains have literally like become Rotted. so convinced of their own rectitude and righteousness about the beliefs, the political beliefs that they hold, that they yes. just like literally just engage in falsehoods constantly. And the
0: falsehood here was they framed this as Cruz, yeah, was responsible here, which quickly got debunked. Um, your thoughts just on um, the progress? How do we? how do we continue to accelerate progress of the human species in the face of a lunatic fringe trying to including sadly some members of the press were part of this lunatic fringe which are just so anti-tech how does the tech industry deal with this
1: i mean the good news is that we've always had stupid people they've Mm -hmm. always been around they've always done stupid things and Uh, uh, i don't think they they've stopped us before they're going to mm. do the best they can to to slow things down to try mm. to create their own narratives and to try to change the future in the ways that they want them to be but if mm. you look back at the history of of technology it's a it's a history of constant improvement and progress mm. like you can look at the cost of solar power now i mean it's mm. falling so rapidly that there's a real hope that we actually will have clean safe power that we can use everywhere everywhere every now it's so crazy Let's you bring that up
0: literally in uh australia they hit a hundred and twenty six percent capacity with solar and yeah. now they're having to figure out um what to do with it, do with it. so yeah. because rooftop solar and solar farms they are doing so well they're just planning on doing a bunch of um uh, batteries, yeah. uh, and the amount of coal being used went down 80% as yeah. uh wind and solar levels, uh, started hitting these, these record, uh, this summer. And so congratulations to the people of Australia. Germany had hit that as well during some particularly, um, uh, sunny days. It's, it's not always sunny in New Germany. Sunny <laughs> there, yeah. yeah. Australia's yeah. got a lot of sun. So the, 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 the Southern part of Australia is just On gonna far. have free energy forever and so they're doing a major major push there so yeah and you can think about all the things that we could do with free
1: energy like it's like the world the world could be a very cool place if we have free free clean safe energy um and so you look at people have been fighting technological improvement for the history of humanity the luddites have always been there they'll always be there and so the the people who run san francisco they they are they are luddites at the core they don't want any more housing built. They want their museum to stay the way it is. They don't mm. want anything to change in their their little museum city. And they don't they don't like technology and they don't like technology companies. And so, like, mm. but at the end of the day, the cruise is safer, cheaper, better. It's it literally is going to replace all human driving. Like you will, our kids will not drive cars, and yeah. they will just. And there's that, no reason. You to know what?
0: Them. We'll be thrilled with that. Yeah. Check this out. This is just so insane. That's awesome. Uh, the season of renewable records on Australia's main grid continue continues apace with the first days of spring, also adding a new milestone for solar in South Australia, the country's most advanced renewable state combined output of rooftop and large scale solar reached a record 120% of local demand at 1255pm on Sunday, according to data provided yada yada. Rooftop solar alone contributed 93.7% of the state's demand with peak production of 131,332 megawatts large scale solar added another 23% uh, of 374 megawatts. This is extraordinary. Um, uh, The state was reporting more than 400 megawatts of excess power to Victoria. So now different when they say states, they mean regions of uh, Australia. Uh, So different states inside of Australia are shipping their energy to each other because they've got so much. And so abundance is upon us, folks. All we need to do is keep executing. And what we need most of all is great entrepreneurs to take money from Zach and J. Cal. Let us slide in that hundred (laughs) K. Let us slide in that 250. Get on the cap table. Hundred exit for us so that we can keep doing this job because it is the greatest job. True. On the planet. To be able to sit with entrepreneurs, Zach, how lucky are we? Two lucky bastards. You Life know. does not suck; it's just great. Even in this sucky eighteen-month period, where like I have to do five times as many meetings to raise ten percent as much, it's like a f- it's a fifty x lift, I think, right now raising yeah, the fund. Right now. I mean, we'll get there; it's no big deal. But um, how lucky are we, even in you know with the shutdowns and the in the hard work, to get to witness things like Uber and Cruise change the world, Robinhood, whatever you get to, you know invest in it's just fantastic what a job we're so lucky
1: life does not suck i like
0: it a lot all right everybody you know how to get to zach you figure it out you're an entrepreneur and uh, <laughs> if you want to come to the founder university i mentioned founder.university we're doing it quarterly now so uh, and uh, i do maybe three in-person sessions with the teams so you get to spend get some facetime with Jake Al as well uh so founder.university it's my new passion we'll see you all next time on this week in startups thanks zach